Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, yeah, it's been busy. I'm trying to I'm trying to cram as much stuff in by the end of the year and mm-hmm. our end of the year coverage mm-hmm. uh, as as possible. Um, I think I've got about I don't know. 22 movies on my list to try and watch by the end of the or at least by the time we do our yeah yeah our top 10 which is we have we have some time. we've got some time there yeah um but uh one of them that i got i was so happy to get uh to get out of the way it sounds like a bad thing to say get out of the way but uh i i loved this movie uh wrote a, a, a review i was gonna say a great review i mean i, I meant great as in i wrote a very positive review right. i'm not saying now that. now <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but you watched this movie too. This is uh, Benny and Josh Safdie's Uncut Gems. I did watch it. Yes, and uh, yeah, this movie blew me away. Um, I, uh, I I kind of knew uh, a little bit what to expect from what I'd heard, and also it's not tonally it's not that dissimilar from to to Good Time, right? In, in that it's a movie that sort of uh, picks a not great person and uh puts him surrounds or, him with other not great people yeah but allows i was gonna say puts him in a bad position but basically allows him to put himself in a bad position and just follow him around yeah for in this case about two hours and 15 minutes of uh non-stop discomfort and and tension but also uh a lot of hilarity mm-hmm. um i i laughed uh probably I, I laughed probably more at this than i did at good time i, I, yes, both I funny, think so yeah but i um uh, this one, I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but, uh, there, um, I, at this, I can, I can say there's a couple of, uh, a, a few people actually who play themselves in the movie. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Garnett plays himself in a pretty yeah. sizable part and he's quite yeah. good. Uh, but also the weekend or, uh, right. as he's credited by his real name, Abel Tesfaye. Tesfaye. Oh, okay. I don't know how, you, I'm not sure how you say his last name. Uh, he's great as himself. It's a very much smaller scene than Kevin right. Garnett's, but when, uh, and then there's a, th- third one which i won't oh, i don't yeah, want to spoil yeah. that, that one is yeah because that one's very funny yeah. um uh and it's not mike Fran- francesa when i saw that mike francesa was in the movie this is uh new york sports talk radio oh yes uh legend i guess mike francesa when i saw he was in the movie i assumed oh he must be playing himself somehow too no right. it's it's a role that Playing he has two scenes and he's good it's weird uh, yeah and and He's good, uh, and that part is important because you come to realize, yeah. like the 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 gamut of the type of people that Adam Sandler deals yeah. with, you know, as varying degrees of threat. And but, like I said, one of them is the weekend, and um, Adam Sandler gets to an argument with his girlfriend, in which he t- says, "Go fuck the weekend," <laughs> which is <laughs> even out of context is just such a funny, yeah, yeah, uh, great line. <laughs> Um, she's also fantastic. She's, she's wonderful. And, um, yeah, so she's, that's a hard part to play because you could come off, uh, come across as for lack of better term, ditzy, Mm -hmm. um, and shallow and all that, or, or just naive. Um, and she, she does come across like that, but that doesn't mean that there's no depth to the character. I think there's tremendous depth and a fair amount of just decency. There's decency. not a lot of decency in the care in the film. And that's, that, that's a great point because there's so many, like this guy is like, he's so frustrating, even though he maybe he could be shallow. He, he maybe has a good heart somewhere, but really he's very self-involved. Oh yeah. He may, he makes bad decisions all the time. His, uh, there's no, 
the movie doesn't really have to go to length to explain why his wife, played by Adina Menzel, who's also great, mm-hmm. is leaving him. I wanted more scenes with her, honestly. Uh, but I understand why we didn't get them, but I wanted more. Yeah, uh, yeah, and same with uh, uh, Judd Hirsch, who I think is supposed to be her father? Yes. Okay. I, I, I couldn't pick out, I knew he was part of the family. Yeah, Judd Hirsch also only has two scenes, and he's great, um, including the part that my, uh, I, I mentioned to my, my wife, because she's Jewish. The movie is very Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a part at a there's a seder at a, at a Passover, and <laughs> afterwards Judd Hirsch is like talking shit about, I think it's his other daughter's husband played mm-hmm. by Eric Bogosian, who's, yeah. who's not Jewish, and he's talking shit about him, and he's like, uh, he came in, he said Happy Holidays, like it's fucking Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my wife thought it was funny. Um, there's something else I was going to say about uh, Julia Fox. Yeah, how great she is uh, in that. As much as this guy is such a, he's his own worst enemy all the time, this main character, and she loves him. And we don't really fully understand, like, why, yeah. but there's, a, like you said decency, there's a purity to, like, she really loves him. It's it's very sweet. And you don't understand until the end, until towards the end of the film, that she really... Yeah loves him like uh, certainly in the in the argument where uh he says go fuck the weekend um like she seems a lot more torn up about this i'm like oh i wasn't expecting that's an interesting beat to play Mm -hmm. and then i thought like does she just see him as like a meal ticket or something like that it's like no there's there's a lot more going on here um we've talked about every performance except for adam sandler's uh yeah and um yeah, I, I don't know what else to say other than he's he deserves all the attention he's 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 getting. It's uh it's a seamless performance. It's for a guy who is in the movies that he like sort of co writes and yeah co produces and stuff. It, he's become increasingly known for just playing versions of himself, you know, and like right Jack and Jill or like I didn't see Funny People, but maybe that I don't know. But like he. He seems to be like he often plays characters who wear the kind of clothes that Adam Sandler wears. And yeah. It seems like he just showed up in what he was wearing yeah. that day. The grown ups movies, maybe. Uh, I haven't seen those, but maybe. Uh, and so to see him so like to to create such a fully formed other person. He, yeah. And just and like some of it has to do like. He's not unrecognizable. You still see Adam Sandler when you look at him. And he's cha- he's he's capitalizing. He's not changing. He's like capitalizing on the cadence that you know. So like when he yells, he still sounds like Adam Sandler when he's yelling. But there's just he just layers on this edge, uh, so that like that you know the Adam Sandler yell. Yeah. Um, but now he's screaming profanity, and he's either furious at him at someone else or himself. And it really there's a, a, an era, a, a, an aspect of like desperation there, and it's just like it. It really is a marvelous performance uh, because he both does and does not disappear into the role. And I feel like those the, those tend to be the performances I like the most. Like if you if you put on too much then there's just a feeling of artificiality to it. And I didn't get that sense at all no, yeah. from him. Uh, one of the big Adam Sandler when you mentioned him yelling, but uh, you know Adam Sandler also has his quiet guy. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where he's I don't want to get too into the details of the scene, but he's essentially asking Adina Menzel to like forgive him. Yeah. And he's like, uh, uh, he's like, I mean, I, this isn't an actual one movie, but he does stuff like, can you forgive me? And then like almost under his breath, like, can you forgive me? <laughs> like yeah. almost kind of stuff. Like he, 
he, he's asking forgiveness, but he won't stop talking long enough for her to actually answer because I think he knows she doesn't forgive him. <laughs> right. Uh, and he's on top of everything. He's a salesman. And so yeah. in that moment, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of like a charming set. Like that's like a sales gimmick. Yeah. Come on, you're going to do it. It's you know? like when, uh, uh, whenever there's, a, I don't know how often you've watched bar rescue, but, uh, have you I'm ever not. watched, uh, you know what it is? Yes. Okay. Cause you, I know you watch kitchen nightmares. Mm. Um, uh, so imagine I'm, imagine Kitchen Nightmares, except instead of Gordon Ramsay, it's Donald Trump. That's okay. kind of what uh, what Bar Rescue is. But John Taffer, the Donald Trump guy, does this thing where when he's talking to a person about something that they might not disagree with, but he's looking at them and nodding while he's saying it. Yeah, and it's like uh, you. It's like what Adam Sandler's doing, like. You agree with me. You yeah. agree with what I'm saying here. Uh, the this drink is not selling. You got to change yeah. the menu. You understand? Like he's already deciding it's, for them that you understand. That's what Adam Sandler's doing in this role. I've seen enough. Uh, oh hell, what is it? Um, Pawn Stars, where okay. the the main guy Rick. Now, of course, it's a heavily produced show, yeah. but you also know that Rick, uh, the main guy, like the stuff he's doing on the show is stuff he's been doing for a while. Um, and so he'll do a thing where I've saw I've talked about on the show before where someone will say, he goes, what do you want for it? And the person says $2,000 ago goes, okay, what do you really want for it? And then he'll start laughing immediately as if to say, not a scornful laugh, but a laughter like we're sharing a joke together, but seriously, I'm not giving you that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's such a fully formed character. It's a fully formed world. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's uh, the 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 filmmaking itself is very kinetic. The score is score is marvelous. Layered, yeah. like they're it's all by one person, and yet like it's it has drastically different tones, but yeah. it all feels of a piece in the same yeah. way. But it really is a movie that comes back to Adam Sandler and his mm-hmm. performance. And that you were writing the highs and lows of this person. And, and, and it's, and of course they're also working with the tension of like, you know, he owes money and instead of paying back the money he owes, he uses the money he has to make a bet to try and get more money so he can pay the back money. The, he keeps like making these bad decisions. And so yeah. the, the rational part of you is like, this is terrible just give the money to the bookie that you owe but the part of you that's empathizing with him is like i really hope the team wins and like of you're course. excited yeah like you feel his highs at the same and it, it, it it's a really uh it, really accomplished movie it and gets so you fun it gets you into the mindset of gambling which is like mm-hmm. he knows that he could get himself out of trouble but he also knows that if this works out not only am i getting myself out of trouble i'm coming out ahead you know, so why wouldn't I do that? And it's like, yeah. yes, but you realize that a bird in hand is worth two in the bush yeah. and <laughs> you could lose it and then you're still in trouble. Like you're twice as much, twice as yeah. much, in fact. And so, yeah, uh, but that's the thing is it's worth But it's kind of like, well, look, he's making the bet anyway, so I might as well hope that it works out for him. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you're not rooting for his comeuppance really at all. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to um um kareem anuz's invisible life which is uh uh brazil's official uh i guess oscar submission this year um and uh i've i've only seen one kareem anuz 
film before I think it was his feature debut, Madame Sata, which came out in like 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that being sort of very, uh, uh, rich and maybe a little heavy handed, but, um, not, uh, a no half measures kind of movie and invisible life is much the, the same way. It's a more traditional, Madame Sata is based on a, uh, a real person, whereas invisible life is, mm-hmm. is, is fiction. Um, but, um, the movie has kind of two modes. Um, the, they kind of tie into the same thing, but it, the movie starts in, uh, I think it takes place mostly in 1950s Brazil. And it's about two sisters who have a very traditional controlling type of mm-hmm. family. But the one sister, I think the older one, I can't actually remember who's older. They're pretty close in age. Uh, you know, she's got an independent streak. She sneaks out at night. She's like falling in love with this Greek sailor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, um, asks her other sister who's much more meek and well-behaved to, to cover up for her. One night she, uh, elopes essentially with the Greek sailor and this family being what it is. The younger sister essentially has to, it's essentially an arranged marriage that they were arranging for the older sister not the younger sister has to mm-hmm. essentially step up and marry this person that she doesn't want to, to marry. Um, and, uh, Okay, so I'll keep giving the... I, I hate doing plot recaps, but uh, right. this one actually is a really interesting plot. So then... Oh, yeah, so the younger sister, her her dream in life is to go to Vienna and study piano at the conservatory. She okay. has dreams of being a classical pianist. She's a very trained, very uh, uh, talented pianist. So she marries this guy. They move, uh, move to their own place and have a family. The other woman... Turns out this Greek sailor was, you know, not so not so hot. So she's knocked up by him in Greece, but he leaves her. So she comes back pregnant, and the father disowns her hmm. and tells uh, and tells her her that, father. Yeah, her. Okay, her yeah, 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 sorry. Uh, her father, the father of the two sisters, disowns yeah. the older sister, whose name is Gita, um, and tells Gita that her younger sister. Uridice, I can't remember. I, I can't quite pronounce it. Uh, has moved to Vienna and is studying piano, which isn't true. She lives just mm-hmm. in another neighborhood in Rio. Um, and then she tells he tells the younger sister, "Yeah, we never heard from Gita. She never came back." Uh, and so, I, yeah, there was a lot of setup. But basically, basically, the movie is about these two sisters who live for years in the same city, both thinking the other are lost to them and live hmm. sort of parallel lives, uh, invisible lives to one another, perhaps. Interesting. Um, I'm with you. And so the, f- the first half encompasses all the things that I said, and it encompasses, uh, Eurydice's uh, first child being born. And the first half of the movie seems to be very specifically about, this time and place in this type of family in this type of world being a woman really sucks for them. That's, that's what the first half uh, is about. And the second half is about that in another way, but then there's a time uh, jump of a, of, of a few years. And we, you know, uh, the Yuridiji's kid and Gita's kid, they're both born and, and mm. are like uh, toddlers now. And the second half of the movie is just, incredibly sad it's like the movie's made its point about how much their circumstances suck and then we said spend, spend the second half watching what is the consequence of those circumstances uh and it's an incredibly sad movie um i mostly held out tear wise you know i'm an easy cry yes 
but then there's a final sequence. Oh man, it got me. I was, I, I was all cuddled up with my dog watching the movie and I was like, Darla, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I hate you. I know you hate to see your old man cry, but, uh, <laughs> she just like has been avoiding eye contact the last few yeah. days. Uh, so yeah, uh, Invisible Life, um, I would say really good, but not an easy watch. You know, there's, um, there's definitely a, I would say a very, uh, an unflinching depiction of what a wedding night is like for someone whose family has intentionally kept her as ignorant as possible about mm. sex. You know, it's a, it's not a romantic fun, like it's sexy not a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's mostly traumatizing for her. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a, and then the childbirth scene is not, uh, pleasant. It's a, it's a rough watch, but, and it's also over two hours and 20 minutes. So it's a rough watch and a long watch, but I honestly, I do recommend it. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to keep going. And I watched uh, one of a couple older movies I watched this week. I watched uh, James Ivory's 1979, The Europeans. Yeah, I was. So I was posting uh, your reviews onto IMDb. Uh, and uh, so I was look. So I typed in The Europeans and it said 1979. I was like, wait, that's not a home video hovel. Uh, review. So, in what capacity did you did no, you watch it, it? Cohen Media. I've done this before. For uh, in fact, we've done a couple of uh, Cohen Media has done a couple of uh, James Ivory movies over the last uh, couple of years. I, I reviewed Heat and Dust, and some I can't remember who someone else reviewed Shakespeare Walla, which I uh, wish I'd had time to to watch because um, that would have been right now. The Europeans is the earliest James Ivory film mm-hmm. I, I watched from 1979, but Shakespeare Wall is like 1965, so it goes way back. But anyway, um, basically, it's just restorations that they okay. released theatrically. And a lot of times these things end up coming out on... Oh, of course, yeah. Because I, oh, I just did one recent, uh, a few months ago, excuse me, where I did a theatrical review of the, the Fritz Lang's Indian double feature, The Tiger of Eshnapur oh, yeah, yeah. and The Indian Tomb. Um and uh, that was for a theatrical re-release, but that Blu-ray's out. Uh, like I just ass- last week, if they're going to do a restoration and it gets, I, I just assume there's a Blu-ray coming. Yeah, so there probably will be a, a Blu-ray coming of of the Europeans. So yeah, this is the so like I said, this is the earliest James Ivory film I've ever seen. Um, I obviously know his uh, like early '90s stuff was uh, on my radar because I was the kind of. <laughs> I was the kind of 10 or 11 year old who knew what Howard's end and remains of the day were. Right. I don't think I really saw them until high school. They're both great. Remains of the day, especially is mm-hmm. uh, amazing. Um, but, uh, um, yeah. So th- when you hear merchant ivory, I think what you think of her, those movies room with a view was before yeah. that. The golden bowl was a kind of lesser one that came out. Uh, Very stuffy, uh, type of, or, Movies about a stuffy society. Yeah, and, yeah. and this is that too, except um, uh, the Europeans, despite the name, takes place in America, in uh, outside Boston in the 1850s, where there's uh, an aristocratic sort of extended family, two like two set like you know the main family, the Wentworths and their their cousins, the Astons or something, and then their distant European relatives, a brother and sister, okay. come to visit, mostly because they're broke. Okay. Um, <laughs> And, uh, this, this just stirs, uh, everything up. Um, the, the biggest of the, the, 
the female cousin from Europe is played by Lee Remick is probably the mm-hmm. biggest like star, like most recognizable name to me, uh, in the cast. But, uh, yeah, it's based on a Henry James, uh, novel. And, uh, so it's not only set in the 1850s, it's what Henry James was writing early 1900s. I'm not really great at yeah, I don't, knowing when literature but, uh, I'm not, is not my, my thing. Yeah. But basically at a time, it's from a time when people falling in love with and marrying their cousins wasn't uh, unthinkable like it is now. And so weirdly, even though everyone in the movie seems related to one another, it's kind of like an ensemble romance. It's Mm -hmm. about a bunch of different people falling for each other. And then like also about arranged marriage because there's like... The older the, the the father who's very pious wants her his older daughter to marry the the uh, Unitarian minister in 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 the town and she doesn't want to but the so the cousin that she's in love with from Europe is like uh, basically they like play matchmaker to get her younger sister to fall in love with the minister so that they can it's a it's a fun okay. movie it's very it's very James Ivory and that it seems very sort of it never gets like too overheated it's very like calm right but also at the same time it's very theatrical in its presentation it's very kind of stagey but not in a bad way uh the costumes and sets are great the new restoration looks great uh so yeah if it's playing if you're in new york or los angeles uh it played last week and i'm not sure if it's doing more than one week you might have already missed it but um or no wait it is no I, i have the timeline wrong it is playing this weekend god it's been a long week um so yeah, go see it. If not, yeah, wait for the Blu-ray. It, it, it should be coming. Um, all right. And then one more, and then I'll turn it back over to you. I watched Jay Roach's bombshell, mm-hmm. which I realized counting, um, made for HBO movies is the ninth Jay Roach feature I've seen. Oh, I, I don't one. think of him as a director that I uh, like yeah. that I'm that familiar with, but I was like, Oh shit. I've seen, because I've seen, three Austin Powers movies and two meet the parents movies. So that's five right there. Yeah. Um, and then of course you've got the movie he's best known for mystery Alaska. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> damn, I've seen more of his movies than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you see recount or game change? No, I didn't. I wanted to see, I wanted to see recount quite a bit. Um, game change. I had read about it. And it's like, I was intrigued by it, specifically the casting. Um, uh-huh. But then I realized that, like, my interest in watching actors I like do impressions of people, like, uh, that's limiting. Okay. Well, then you might not want to watch Bombshell because it is full of it. Oh, I'm sure. And people you don't need, like, obviously there's the main, like, uh, Charlie Stern is playing Megyn Kelly and Nicole Kidman is playing uh, Gretchen Carlson and John Lithgow is playing Roger Ailes. But you've also got, like, Richard Kind as Rudy Giuliani. Uh, (laughs) All right. You know what? That might actually be interesting. (laughs) You've cast Richard Kind as any uh, public figure and I'm there. Um, And then you've got some, like, the the very subtle makeup they did like Charlize Theron like looks like Megan Kelly. It's there's so also, strange. There's, I think it's only one scene and I forgot the name of the actor, but the guy they get to play Bill O'Reilly, they made him look so for a second. I was like, what? <laughs> like, did they get like, obviously they didn't get Bill O'Reilly right. himself in this movie. That's partially about his, his firing. Yeah. But it's like, uh, yeah, they just do these, these slight things. And yeah. It almost becomes comical how often people pop up. And even when, I'm not like I'm not familiar with the woman who was um, um, uh, one of Roger Ailes' lawyers, but okay. Allison Janney. 
plays her and Alison Janney is clearly doing an impression of her because she has this crazy accent that mm. I never would have expected out of Alison Janney and you know what I loved it <laughs> uh, it's 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 off its rocker but I, I, I loved it I mean the cast uh, all around is great Malcolm McDowell Kate McKinnon yeah, Connie, Malcolm McDowell Connie has, has Rupert Mur- Murdoch yeah, yeah Rob Delaney's in it uh-huh Steven Root? Oh, man. Yeah, Steven Root and Robin Weigert play yeah. um, Gretchen Carlson's lawyers. Uh, who Mark, else? Mark Moses is in it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Andy he's, Buckley he's from Bill the Office. Shine. Uh, uh, who I don't actually... Uh... Oh, Kevin Dorff plays Bill O'Reilly. Oh, I see it. Absolutely. What do I know Kevin Dorff from? Uh, gosh, he's been in... I mean, he's he's like... Do you have a picture of him? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they obviously put some prostheses on his face in the movie. Uh, oh yeah. 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 Wow, I feel like he was, him. he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's also a writer. He, he does a lot okay. of, uh, anyway, scene stuff. Um, so yeah, I think the movie is, uh, okay. I'm working through some thoughts right now. Even okay. I've already written my review. Okay. I like recount and game change, although it feels weird that game change is called game change because the book it's based on game change was about the 2008 presidential campaign in general. Right. And they just took specifically the Sarah Palin story. Right. And made and kept the name game change. It seems almost seems like false advertising in a way. I don't know. I don't know why that bothers me <laughs> because like the book's about so much more than that. Uh, but I guess it's like, well, I, you know, when uh, they made the movie, the door on the floor. I was going to mention, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's the door on the floor is a movie that is based on just the first third mm-hmm. of, uh, a widow for one year by John Irving. Um, and so they changed the name that seemed right to do. Yeah. But this, so like what's it, what if somebody wants to cover, uh, a different part of the book and now it's like, well yeah, now I have to game. change the title. Yeah. That the change the game. Um, <laughs> so anyway, those, all right, I'm going to sound. Uh, I, I like to poke fun at my fellow uh, lefties. Okay. Recount and Game Change are the kind of movies that tend to be described as even-handed and bipartisan by people on the left. Sure. Because they're not like neither one of those movies is outwardly like mean or condescending toward or dismissive of mm-hmm. the people on the right, but it it clearly has a right. point of view. Right. Bombshell is, on the one hand, much more clear in its point of view because its point of view isn't necessarily leftist. It's that women should right. uh, be able to, to 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 work equally in the workplace without being uh, being harassed, and um, and should when they are harassed should be able to speak out about it or file complaints without right. being fired or having their careers ruined. So, the, on the one hand, the, the point of view is uh, less. Uh, specifically political in that left-right sense, but also the characters that it's portraying are almost uniformly mm-hmm. conservatives, and uh, the and, and I think the movie does weirdly it's less balanced and more balanced than Jay Roach's previous political movies because of the the, the sort of the sort of competing things because it doesn't like it doesn't try to pretend that Megyn Kelly isn't Megyn Kelly. Sure, it could still it still makes sure to include her insisting that Santa Claus is a white man. It's just like, what are the, it's like St. Like Nicholas was a white man. Santa Claus is a, a different thing. Character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, it's, yeah, not only is it weird, a weird position to hold, it's a weird thing to like, it's a weird hill to die on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, that's the other thing. Uh, so yeah, you've, you've got all that, but then the, the thing that maybe you could see, I, I don't, 
maybe I'm falling in. I'm being that person I was taught making fun okay. of in reviewing Game Change. And I'll let you know. I don't feel like the movie's position on Donald Trump is leftist so much as just rational <laughs> that Donald Trump is terrible and specifically terrible when it comes to women that and his history of not only credible accusations, but recordings of, you know, the, rec- the, the recording of him admitting, admitting things. So the fact that the movie that is specifically about Roger Ailes and includes the Bill O'Reilly who mm-hmm. got fired around the same time for around the same, about the same reasons. Although John Roger Ailes wasn't fired. Uh, that's why he ended up getting like a $60 million payout, <laughs> right. or $40 million payout or whatever it was. Um, anyway, uh, but he stepped down and Bill O'Reilly stepped down, whatever. Um, the fact the movie is specifically about that, but it's very clearly backdropped by the run up to Donald Trump being elected. It well, if you're going to make, if you're going to make a movie with Megan Kelly, uh, you're going to run across that. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it starts with the, the, the famous, um, thing where she questioned him on his history with women, uh, at a Republican presidential debate, which mm-hmm. led to him saying the thing about she had blood coming out of her, whatever. Well, yeah. Um, and that's included in the, in the, in the movie. Um, they and, don't get an actor to play Donald Trump. It's just footage on the TV. Yeah. Uh, and then of course it, it, the, the, and then it's the, the Republican nomination at the, uh, the Republican, uh, convention where they, then he receives the nomination at the end. And so to me, I, it, you know, this about me, Tyler listeners, probably know this about me. I, reflexively despise movies that feel designed to make the viewer feel good about themselves. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, or at least congratulate themselves. Sure. Yes. More okay. what I mean. Yes. Like, uh, this, this is an E.T. Issue. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. No, I mean like something like, uh, you know, the, because that's called pandering. It's like saying, right. Uh, well, we made this movie about this awful thing. We're going to market it to people who agree that this is awful. You're going to come in. We're all going to agree this is awful together. Yeah. And they're going to leave feeling like we've somehow contributed something to society. It's one of being, the, you know, filleted for a uh, hundred minutes. It's, boy one, erased. Of the, it's uh, one of the things that bothered me oddly enough about not so much the movie Hugo, but the response to Hugo is that it's so much, it's like this celebration of George Melier and like the power of film, even though it winds up not really being about that. Um, and so many critics, don't get me wrong, it's visually masterful and all that, but so many critics just talked about the joy of this and that. And it's like, yeah, you recognize all this stuff. Like, the movie's yeah. just affirming you. It's saying that, yes, you the stuff you like, you're right in liking. And it's it's a, a, a cinephile making the movie, cinephiles watching the movie. Right. And, yeah. and they're just, yes, it's... Uh, um, and so I, what I liked about Bombshell is that while it is that on the surface, the fact that it is constantly reminding you uh, that Donald Trump had more accusations or at least more public record mm-hmm. evidence of this kind of behavior and was still elected president. Basically, the movie says this movie like this is the story of a victory in a war that we're losing. And you know, it's interesting as somebody who in the primaries, I, I actually really liked Carly Fiorina. I'm sure people are going to have a problem with that, whatever. I don't care anymore. Um, but there was a rather public thing he said about her as well. Uh, he talked oh, about her nice. face yeah. and, and all that. Fucking uh, I know. And it's just, and it's, yeah, it's one of those things that like, even though, okay, I'll say this. 
even though there are ways in which I personally have benefited from uh, Trump's like uh, policies and stuff. Oh, me too. I mean, yeah, you, we were talking off mic about we both had uh, yeah. like bigger tax returns or whatever this year, tax yeah. refunds, whatever it was. Because yeah. obviously we're both very wealthy and yeah. want to <laughs> stay wealthy. Um, but no, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, as a middle class cishet white man, I make it a point to vote against my own interests most of the time. Yeah. And I mean, I'm probably, but also at the same time I look at honestly what the democratic candidates are talking about. I'm like, I don't, I'm not really on board with any of that, even though I like a couple of the candidates themselves. Um, but in the end it's just like, well, I'm probably not, I guess I'm just going to vote there. I don't even know who's running libertarian. I might not vote for president this year. Not that look, it's California. Not that it matters that much, (laughs) but, but, uh, this is why I know I have, um, I feel like voting and you, should, you can do it by mail or whatever. Sure. Sure. Voting should be mandatory. Now there should be an abstention for everything. Of course. But you should have to fill out a ballot. Anyway, that's just how I, <laughs> how I feel. But you're allowed to abstain, but you have to participate. That's we're all in this together. That's my that to me sounds way of thinking. That to me sounds terrifying. But like if you like, are you really going to require someone who wasn't going to vote to suddenly vote? Yeah, they can abstain, but okay. they have to do it. That's what I'm saying. They have like you. You can put there at the, the bottom of every category. There will be an abstain thing that you can mark. You don't have to vote for anyone or for or against any proposition. Yeah. But you have to fill out a ballot and turn it in just to participate. I personally, I I would, I would just like to see the result. Like I want to see the numbers on the, on how many people say abstain just so that like, all right, I think we've got a pretty good sense of what's going on here. Cause I do, cause I do think that if it were mandatory, I think more people would just on principle, choose to vote for someone and that to me is like i'm not the most informed voter in the world i would say neither are you i don't think anybody can be um i think i'm the most informed voter in the world (laughs) i don't think anyone's more informed than i am all right good to know (laughs) well guys this is the end of battleship pretension i didn't realize i was uh hosting with a megalomaniac um but anyway uh that's neither here nor there no uh bombshell it's it was it. It looked interesting to me. Although I, I will say that like the the fact that it was directed by Jay Roach in the same way that at, like at these like comedic directors who have moved into yeah. the political. Don't get me wrong. I'm all in favor of the absurdity of politics um, being depicted on screen. I mean, um, but I, I am I'm immediately suspicious because I feel yeah. like it's either going to be like cloying or it's going to be smug or and it often yeah. is. Um, and I think Adam McKay with the big short did the best version for me because it's a political movie, but also he, he included like Adam McKay sort of like absurdity in it. Bombshell has very little of that. There is one, uh, specific moment when she's talking like at the beginning when she's like, um, talking about the things she's going to confront Trump about, about the things he said about women mm-hmm. and some other, like another Fox news, uh, I can't remember anchor or someone who works at Fox news is like, do you have anything to back it up? And at that moment, her insisted, her assistant sets down like a binder that's labeled Trump and women. Uh, <laughs> like that, that felt like a sort of, um, almost Austin Powersy. Uh, that is, <laughs> that is actually very, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually, I like the, the instinct uh, to tell, to make this movie because it suggests that like you might disagree with this person, you might not, but no one deserves to be treated this way. Yeah. I think that, that you know? that's definitely part of it. We didn't even so. talk about Margot Robbie, who's playing a, uh, 
she's uh, like a, a composite, composite character. character. Yeah. 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 Um, who's, uh, she's, she's really good. Um, all right. What did you, it's your turn to. Well, next up for me is a film you've seen. We saw it the same day at different times. Oh, wait, I thought, I thought you were doing next at this point, you were doing the one you hadn't seen to break up. My, oh, I can do that. Yeah, yeah sure. I sure. Think that, that's the way to I was going to go. In, okay. So I saw, oh boy. So we'll get to that one. Yeah. Very soon. I saw Tom Hooper's cats. Okay. All right. So if you've read my review, you're, you're mystified by my reaction to this thing. Um, because, and I'll say this, I wrote my review only a couple of days after finish finishing reading for the first time at the mountains of madness and two weeks after just coincidentally rereading the Island of Dr. Moreau. So <laughs> my review has that quality to it because I felt like what I was looking at was just it, it defied all reason. Um, and it defied what you, what you expect to see when you look at a movie. Um, the, the, the design of these characters, it's very jarring and, and it takes, and it jumps right in. Uh, not unlike the cats themselves, they would jump right into the frame. They don't give you any real warning at all. Um, and suddenly you're like, okay, I'm here. What am I doing? Uh, and it's just, uh, it, it really is just a, for the first, I'd say 20 minutes, you're just like, this is, this is just not even awful. It, it doesn't even belong on the spectrum of good and bad, but slowly but surely it finds a rhythm. I say slowly, it doesn't go slowly. It's very quickly, but, uh, but it finds a rhythm and I found myself starting to accept the reality or the non-reality that I was presented with, at which point I was able to enjoy the songs I was going to enjoy, enjoy the performances that I was going to enjoy. I really appreciated the art direction and its use of color. Um, the The design of the characters, some of, some of them work better than others. Um, and then I think you just get, you just grow used to them. And then every once in a while you'll be watching and then you're like, oh yeah, Judy Dench is all covered in fur. <laughs> That's weird, you know? So every once in a while it reminds you of what it but is. It doesn't do that intentionally. Or does it like... No, it does not. just have them like licking, like cleaning themselves with their tongues just out of nowhere? They do that sometimes. That reminds me of, I think you and I have talked about this. We certainly used to talk about it on my old TV podcast previously on when I did my, with my friend Sean. The show Delocated. Sure. Which is a show in which John <laughs> yeah. Glazer the entire time is wearing a ski mask and his voice is modulated. Yeah. And it'll just be like a regular show for a while. And then every once in a while you'd be like, oh, right. This is, they're committed to this conceit. Yes. Uh, no, this is not. Time. But it's not intentional. Delocated is a comedy. Yeah. that it has to be self-aware occasionally. Yeah. This is the, it's the least self-conscious film I've ever seen. And it has, and it should be the most. Um, so yeah, like we have Ian McKellen, like lapping up milk out of a pan. And I was like, oh boy, this is just awful. But then he'll turn around and sort of speak saying a really touching, well-written song. Um, my, my appreciation of Andrew Lloyd Webber changes from one song to the next. <laughs> um, and that's appropriate for a movie like this because, or for a musical like this, which I was almost completely unfamiliar with, uh, the musical cats. So maybe the novelty of the songs themselves, uh, played into it. But 
overall, I'd say I had a positive experience, even in the midst of being like, this is just so absurd. Um, and so that's, so if you read my, if you read my review, you will see again in the style of apparently HP Lovecraft, especially the xenophobia, uh, and also, uh, uh, HG Wells. Um, so it's a different type of review for me, but one that feels right for someone giving, it feels like an appropriate bit of, insane introspection given that i had a largely i'd say a 65 percent positive experience with tom hooper's cats i'm looking forward to seeing i think you might enjoy it i liked tom hooper's les miserables more than most people right more than than i did yeah uh no i'm not a big um angela Weber fan i feel like i'll probably have an easier time adjusting to the human cat uh, crossbreeding abominations yeah. than to the music. But uh, yeah, maybe you could, uh, I liked the new Taylor Swift song, which I heard Yeah, um, that she, uh, yeah. Uh, was it called something ghosts? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Something ghosts. Yeah. Um, um, I like yeah. that. It's the best thing to come out of Andrew Lloyd Webber is Paul Thomas, uh, Paul uh, F Tompkins impression oh, of yeah. Andrew Lloyd, yeah. Lloyd Webber. But yeah. And so I've been looking at like the Rotten Tomato score. It's like it's 16%. So it's like, okay, this is going to be the opposite of Toy Story where I'm only one of a handful of critics uh, giving it a fresh rating. But please yeah. keep in mind. That's just, it's 50, 52%. Is probably. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, next up, I watched a, a, a new criterion release. I haven't posted my review yet. Um, uh, of Ronald Neem's, Tunes of Glory from 1960, which Tyler Alec Guinness. Uh, yeah, I almost okay, yeah. like brought it because I think you really love. I've this heard movie. nothing but good things about it. Yeah, so this is a movie about. Um, it, it takes place, yeah, at least in 1960, but it takes place just after World War II, where this regiment of Scottish soldiers has sort of returned to camp, and their commanding officer is someone who's like a battlefield promotion. Played by Alec Guinness, he's a very like one of the you know, one of the boys type he out drinks most of them and they have, uh, he's a very gruff type. Uh, but the military is, as I guess decided now that it's peacetime, this regiment needs a peacetime commander. So they essentially demote Alec Guinness mm. and replace him with a, uh, I guess like a, uh, I'm thinking of a West point type, but that would be the American military. Right. I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the equivalent is, but a more upper class type played by John Mills. Um, and so he sort of, uh, starts running the regiment in, uh, his own way, which is very much about returning to sort of tradition and the regiment, like being, uh, you know, those old, those old movies where like the people who got to attend, like fancy costume balls were like the aristocracy and yeah. the officers of the military. Yes. He's sort of returning it to that type of like thing where they're going to host parties and they're going to mm-hmm. learn, uh, like instead of doing military, like war drills they're going to learn how to dance uh, and so, so he's like doing this stuff and it's um so it sort of creates some divisions among the men some of them are a bit old-fashioned like john mills and are happy for this sort of thing mm-hmm. and a lot of them are loyal to to sinclair to to alec Guinness's character and so it's mostly a clash between these two i don't want to go too much further into it but it's really great it's got the two great performances i mentioned alec Guinness and and john mills and you've also got uh, and I had to look up his name because I forgot it, but Dennis Price, 
who is the lead of Kind Hearts and, kind Hearts and Coronets. Oh, okay, yeah. The non-Alleginous role yeah, from yeah. Kind Hearts and Coronets. And he plays, he's sort of introduced as Sinclair, Alleginous's right-hand man who can, you know, is the only man who can sort of match him drink for drink, you know, mm-hmm. he's that type. But um, in a maybe a sort of opportunistic or Machiavellian way, very much attaches himself to becoming Mills right hand man. And so he's sort of the, uh, the almost like an Iago type, uh, in hmm. that he's like sort of scheming and self-interested. Uh, and that's a fantastic performance too. So from someone, it really is like if his performance is like the character from kind hearts and coronets, but yeah. with none of the comedy, like it's like right. dark and, uh, don't fuck with this guy type of thing. So, I mean, it sounds as though the film, I mean, I guess this is, this was Britain in general post-war, but I remember hearing stories about, uh, the, about, uh, Winston Churchill and that everyone was like, he helped us win the war and that's great. But now we need, but he essentially was ousted because like, well, we need a different type of prime minister now. Yeah. And so like this kind of transition into this different thing and, and almost trying to just, is like the war is over. It was a really terrible thing. Let's just completely brush it aside and go back to the British way of doing things as though it it hadn't happened. But you hear about that with the mob too, that there's like wartime consigliere. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Wartime peacetime. Because one's about war and one's about business. I guess that makes sense. Anyway, uh, great. A uh, really good, really good movie. The only, only uh, the only other Ronald Neem directed film that I'd seen is I Could Go On Singing, which is a oh yeah, I think a in the mainstream I think an under uh, underrated you know underappreciated Judy Garland vehicle, but I think mm-hmm. among I don't know film people I, I think the movie has a very good reputation. So uh, I guess I need to check out more Ronald Neem. All right, let's move on to the movie you and I both saw, even though we had very different, uh, uh, largely different opinions of it. And I, much like you with Toy Story 4. Okay. Where you didn't like it and you didn't realize you were going to be an outlier. Right. I didn't realize I was going to be an outlier by liking Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. When I, I, and I, I didn't think I was going to be in the, in the majority on it. I uh, thought most, based on my the audience at my screening, I was like, Oh boy, people really like this. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. There were a lot of cheers and stuff in the, in the, in the, in the screening. Um, Oh yeah. And we'll avoid spoilers. Cause I know this is coming out before most people had a chance to see it. Um, but, uh, I did, I, I normally am not like maybe in a self defeating way, but in a way, cause I don't like, uh, it feels tacky. I'm not like a person who is eager to release my review as soon as the embargo's up. Uh, but I figured, you know, I've seen it written the review, probably a good idea. So I, you know, at 12 one AM, I not only posted it, but I posted a rotten tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And so when I posted and I saw and refreshed the rotten tomato score, I was like, <laughs> I was really taken aback because I had such a fun time at the movie. Now it's funny. I also, I didn't, I still think the last Jedi is better. Um, yeah, that almost, I, I forget that, that I have to say that to me, that just goes without saying the last Jedi is great. It's crazy um, how many people disagree with that. I know. Um, but it's a similar situation where I love the last Jedi and I was surprised to find that so many people didn't like it. And I had to look into why. And I was like, Oh, I don't agree. Um, at all, but I guess I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, 
uh, uh, again, I see where you're coming from. Doesn't mean I sympathize. I think where they're coming from in Last Jedi is stupid, but um, uh, I at least I understand it now. Um, and I had a very similar reaction to Rise of Skywalker. I was like, "What don't people like?" And then I read it, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Same same reaction. Even though it's a very, it's two different groups of people, right? And also, I should I should uh, remind us and remind our listeners that the time we're recording this, the movie has not released to the public. Yeah, so we are. I am only getting the critics' reactions. Um, yeah, I really, I don't know what like the people that like the 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 fandom uh, that that did not like uh, Last Jedi. Um, I don't know what they're going to th- going to think of this. I, I mean, it, I, it addresses some of their concerns, but is yeah. the is the is the horse out of the barn or what do you say? Is the horse out of the barn? What is that? That sounds right. It's the toothpaste out of the tube. Barn, there you go. There the you thing. go. Like, uh, are they going to be able to after having lambasted Kathleen Kennedy for two years? Yeah. Are they going to be able to to say, OK, they made one for us. But um, do you feel I, like they made one for them? Uh, I, here's the thing. Everything I just said about last Jedi and rise of Skywalker and the similarities and differences in my reactions come from the same place, which is that I don't really care about star Wars in a very large way. Right. (laughs) And so while I was watching the movie, same with while I was watching last Jedi, I wasn't thinking like, Oh, the fans are going to hate that you know, Yoda set fire to those books or whatever it is, right. you know, um, the, uh, I wasn't thinking like, uh, the, the fans are going to hate that Luke t- tossed the, the lightsaber right. over your shoulder. I don't think about them is the thing. And so at the same, in the same way, when the stuff happened in the rise, rise of the Skywalker, that kind of like, uh, uh, addresses that or, or walks back some of what Ryan Johnson did. That's not what I was thinking about in the moment. It wasn't until I started reading people's reviews, um, that I was like, Oh yeah, I guess they, uh, in some ways figuratively, in some ways literally undid, uh, what Ryan Johnson did, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I, I don't want to give any, uh, spoilers. I'm always so nervous about star Wars type spoilers. Cause I like stuff that I don't even think of as a spoiler. Uh, right. Cause that's, a, cause that's the thing. I'm not a big enough fan to, when it comes to this, I'm not a big enough fan to recognize fan service when I see it. I don't understand that that's what it is mm. because I'm not, steeped in that uh enough i'm not thinking about that um so basically i just liked it because it was a fun movie i don't think it's as good as last jedi i think it's probably better than force awakens but uh it i i think force awakens had more soggy parts (laughs) in a way whereas this one is it made me feel you know it we talk i i feel like we kind of talk shit about Return of the Jedi is the weakest of it. Probably is the weakest of the original yeah. trilogy, but it but, still has really strong moments. And Rise of I keep wanting to say Rise of the Skywalker, the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, it reminded me how I felt when I watched Return of the Jedi as a kid, which is just like, oh, that fucking like speeder chase through the forest <laughs> is so cool, right? In Return of the Jedi, I probably yeah, like yeah. fucking at yeah. the time, but I was like, what a cool action sequence. What yeah. a cool, you know, uh, Java's barge and all this stuff. Sure. And, and basically rise of Skywalker burns through exposition so fast that it's like disorienting, which Boy, I had a problem with that's at first. True. Yeah. But uh, like when they're, it's really like by the two scenes in, you're like, okay, I guess I know everything I need to know about what's going to happen the rest of the movie. That's a little bit jarring, but what it did is it meant the rest of the movie could just be like an action set piece 
after another, and I really enjoyed that. I myself, uh, yeah, I don't. As as I've said with Last Jedi, like anytime people say like that's not Star Wars or Luke would never do that, my reaction is usually like, well, it is Star Wars now. See, I just looked at it uh-huh. and look, see, uh, Luke just did it, so I yeah. guess he would do it. Yeah. Uh, I I have a tendency to kind of just go if the movie is doing it well, I have a tendency to just go along with what the director is presenting me uh, presenting to me. Um, so my issues with some some of the plotting, some of the exposition, some of the like new elements being introduced, uh, in rise of Skywalker has nothing to do with, um, what I think star Wars would do. I am trying to think in terms of, I'm, I'm thinking of this in terms of like force awakens last Jedi in this. I'm thinking of those as that's one franchise. I'm not trying to think right. of the prequels. I'm not trying to think of the originals. Um, and I think I'm drilling down even further where I'm just pretty much just watching the rise of Skywalker at that moment. Yeah. And, I try to do that, but I also recognize that like there is a larger story at play. And so I'm trying to look at it in, in that sense. But I will say that from a, just from a script structure standpoint, it's really a mess. And there's, there's one, <laughs> and I can't even say it because it's, it's a, it's a spoiler. That's a non-spoiler. Every, when it, when this thing presents itself, there's a false death. All right. I won't say who it oh, is. Okay. And then, immediately like the next scene they reveal that oh no it's fine yeah but then after that the characters who think this person is dead they're like we're gonna do it for this person like you got the scenes mixed up yeah because now those people (laughs) we don't think they're foolish but there are no stakes now yeah because that's interesting yeah like from so it's stuff like that where it's like oh i it, it just it feels so rushed in every sense that only probably it's probably not until like 45 minutes and then we finally start to get like a scene of character development, character meditation, that sort of thing. Um, and I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that Palpatine's in it, but it, but the way that he is in it, as much as Ian McDermott is doing stellar work. And I also, I won't say what it is cause yeah. it's a, it's a night, just the way that the, the state he is in now is, a, it's a, that's a pleasure button for me. I like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I will say to people, you know what I mean, right? Um, uh, yes, I do. The physical state. Yeah. I, I I actually kind of obliquely referred to it in my, in my review. Uh, Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah. Anyone who has, if you've avoided rise of Skywalker spoilers and you think you just got a big spoiler that Palpatine literally before the, people who talk through the trailers have fully finished their sentences. You know, the Palpatine's back. It's yeah. the first thing that happens yeah. in the movie. It's well, it's in the crawl yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes. That, that, um, that, that's what I mean. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's literally the first thing. <laughs> I guess there is the Lucasfilm logo. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we know the Palpatine's back. So but, yeah. Uh, yeah. And also I think, uh, the, you know, we haven't actually seen him in a while and the way, and he's, he just feels more like a device than a, than a full blown character. And this is someone that we have experience with. And yet somehow just the way that he's used doesn't feel totally right to me. Uh, from a narrative standpoint, I certainly wasn't satisfied with how he was used. Um, I like a lot of what happens with Kylo Ren and I do think the action sequences are done really well, but never quite so well that, I wouldn't say I was bored, but I was just like, oh yeah, that's, that's nice. Like I, I wasn't really thrilled by them. The, the lightsaber fights between 
Ray and Kylo Ren, and there are a, a couple, yeah. um, those really worked for me because there's an emotional, the bond between those two is the most effective part of this whole trilogy, uh, in my opinion. Absolutely agreed. Um, um, and I realized that I've never seen Daisy Ridley in anything else. I think I've only seen her in the new Murder on the Orient Express, and I thought she did a really good job. Um, they do a thing that they set up in the in the first uh, in Last Jedi. I think it actually there's a little bit of Force Awakens there too. But uh, the idea of these characters being so bonded um, that they can kind of see where each other are, or they can whatever you like, there's almost like a telepathic connection there. Yeah, and the fact that they can also start to impact physical elements. So great. I love it. That's great. Yeah, there are a couple of really awesome moments yeah. that involve uh, not just them talking to each other, but objects passing yeah. from one astral, you know, yeah. through astral projection or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. very cool. So when I look at stuff like that, I see what this movie could have been, but I feel like it's, it, it feels like it's got so much stuff to do in my review, which I read, which I wrote for more than one lesson. I, I, compare it to like a waiter that is just going from one table to the next <laughs> and probably not getting people's orders right, but close enough. Uh, and, and on one hand you're just like, well, Hey, God bless him. He's got a lot of tables to keep track of, but you're also not getting exactly what you ordered. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I found it dissatisfying, uh, largely dissatisfying, maybe even more so because if it were a film that were just universally just bad, that would be one thing. But because I can see the good in there, I'm like, oh, if they just, if it had had maybe a clearer vision or whatever, or if they had let let it be maybe 15 minutes longer so we had room to breathe, room to really explore the new realities that the characters are dealing with, I think I might, I might li- embrace it more. But uh, it just feels like, just feels rushed. Um, one last minor complaint that I did think of the uh, with The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. I really like Kelly Marie Tran and I like Rose Tico, but two movies in a row, she's at least in Last Jedi, she had a big part in terms of screen time. Oh, sure. But had nothing really t- interesting to do. And here, it's, she doesn't even have that much screen time and she has nothing to do. It's really just a waste I, of, uh, of an on-screen energy that I think is really great. I also feel like since Force Awakens, I don't think Ryan Johnson and now I don't think J.J. Abrams know quite what to do with Finn. Like, have you noticed that oh, in the yeah. last two movies, they have paired him with new characters because that now he's explaining that they... They give him someone to explain something to. Yeah, I think this one's better though. Uh, the, it is. I just the, the I pairing don't. is better. Um, yes, because and, of, the, of a shared history. Yes, yeah. and he actually gets to play a pretty big part in the final battle, which I really liked and won't, won't give away. Uh, we also didn't mention Richard E. Grant, whom I like. I like uh, him, and I also like what he stands for, which is like it's not just the heroes that remember the time before, like this is a guy from before. Oh, right. And I, and I would have liked, there's only so much time you can give to like the generals and the empire or yeah. the first order. But, uh, I would have liked a little bit more from him, but I understand why we don't get it. So anyway, all okay, right. So final, one, one more, one more final movie for me. Just watched it last night. Um, because I'm going to review it. And, uh, unfortunately it was everything I, expe- I expected. I watched, uh, I already forgot the name of the movie. Just mercy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't like short term 12. Okay. Didn't like this. I think, I think Destin Daniel Cretton might be a hack. Um, mm. because and that's not a word you use very often. No, but they're just movies that aren't just bad to me. They're bad in ways that get under my skin. And 
annoy me in their sort of uh, empty formula or their platitudes uh, or or their kind of uh, liberal crocodile tears. Again, mm-hmm. I, once again, I'm making fun of liberals, but uh, <laughs> you're not going to complain. I am a liberal, but I am. So uh, I tend to be hard on them, which is, I think, a thing that a lot of liberals do well, maybe spe- to too much of an extent where we spend yeah. more time infighting than anyway. Well, it's one of the uh, things, honestly, if you'll pardon me, one of the things that I uh, appreciate about us and this show is that I'm right leaning, you're left leaning, but we're talking movies and <laughs> a movie yeah. needs to work first. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely. Whereas, you know, uh, Richard Jewell, which is a movie that has is full of stuff that sure. I don't agree with yeah. is a much better movie because it's a good movie. Anyway, this is a movie that is full of stuff. I do agree with, um, that just seems so it seems it, it, it seems so anodyne a movie about the death penalty. Oh, look at you. It seems well, especially in a year when we also had, or I guess have clemency. clemency? Yeah, uh, clemency hasn't actually officially come out yet, right? I, I saw it like a month and a half ago. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, did you watch clemency? No, uh, but I'm oh, gonna. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, clemency eats just mercy's lunch okay it's so much better <laughs> even though it's a it's a fully fictionalized movie and maybe that helps mm-hmm. um it's such a better condemnation of the death penalty because at no point does a character in clemency speechify about how wrong the death penalty is yeah um while what happens with just mercy by but uh, by it being a true story it, the movie gets to sort of handpick the examples for its argument that are tailor made to, to, um, uh, to support its argument, which I, which I guess you would say a fictionalized movie obviously could do that too. And that was one of the few problems I had with clemency is that like, it goes too far in trying to prove Aldous Hodge's character's innocence when really the point of the movie is that the death penalty is wrong. It's wrong when a guilty person is murdered by the state and it's wrong when an innocent person is murdered by this state. Mm. Um, whereas uh, this movie tries to make that argument, but in a way that I it it again I'll co- I'll compare it to Clemency, which opens with a horrifying sequence of a lethal injection gone wrong. Um, here, and then this this movie is uh, Alabama in the early nineties. It's the the um, electric chair, not the death penalty. But here, when it comes time to actually see one of the people on death row, you know, uh, go to the electric chair. The movie, uh, uh, looks away in a way that I found a little bit cowardly. Yeah. I was, I was mad at this movie, uh, a lot of the time, despite it being full of great, I love Michael B. Jordan. Jamie Foxx is great. Brie Larson's great. You've got Tim Blake Nelson, who's doing a, he's doing a lot, but it works with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rafe Spall, which is an actor that I tend to find reliable, uh, is in it. And then, um, uh, you've got as the other two, Jimmy Fox's other two death row friends, you've got O'Shea Jackson jr. Okay. Who's, who's great. And then in a really good part, uh, Rob Morgan, who was in Mudbound. Um, oh, which I didn't see, but I can, I know who you're yeah, talking about. He's, yeah. he's fantastic. You've, so it goes a long way. You've got a, a great cast that definitely this, you know, 
I feel like this time of this time of year and these type of pandering movies that come out tend to remind me that like, yeah, good acting, uh, is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, it helps movies. Um, but, uh, just overall, I felt like it's stacking the deck too much in its own favor for a movie that I already agree with. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's not a movie. Whereas I feel like clemency is a movie that is <clears throat> so much about how awful it is to take a life. Even if the, the courts have said you're allowed to yeah. that. I do think clemency could change minds. I don't think just mercy is going to change. It. I was, I was going to ask that about just mercy because you said, you know, even though you already agree with, it, and I thought, okay, well imagine if you, if you imagine if you didn't agree with it, yeah, is it presenting like arguments that, that could make well, a person I, be like, Oh, I never thought of that. I think it's more about, it's, it's more about the argument that it makes is that, uh, that Jimmy Fox's, uh, prosecution and trial and defense initially was very, very bad. So it almost gives the, if you support the death penalty, it would give you that out of saying, well, let's just, we need better public defenders, you know, right. wh- whereas clemency when it's working uh, at its best, which is most of the time, uh, is just like, no, the death penalty itself is an absolute moral wrong, yeah. uh, which is, uh, how I, how I feel. 